0: Lord, we love you very much. We're thankful for this this morning, for an opportunity to be able to gather together in our homes and to hear from you. And God, I pray that you would break into um, our current atmosphere, wherever we're at, and that we would sense your presence rest on the house that we're dwelling in. I pray that as worship happens in our homes as your word is proclaimed, um, Lord, that it pierces the hearts of people. Uh, Lord, I pray that you call us to a new level of understanding, uh, a new level of submission in our, in, in our relationship with you. God, I pray that you would help us to be able to see us the way that you see us and um, and then have a vision for what you might be taking us to. We pray now um, for this series we've been in uh, called Trees. We hadn't even made it to a tree yet, but Lord, I pray that you speak about agriculture, you speak about the seed process, Lord, you, you speak into our hearts about how we are to be cultivated as a believer. And that over these next several weeks, Lord, I pray that you would help us to have a new understanding of what maturity looks like in the life of a believer. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, I got to share, uh, uh, I think it was Tuesday, uh, on a. We have our staff meets every day at 12 o'clock and we get to share a word. And so I got to share a word on the importance of a foundation. And really, the last several weeks, that's what we've been talking about, is that the foundation is so important. One of the most frustrating things about foundation work, um, not whether that be construction, whether that be in the life of a believer, whether that be for us as a parent, any area of our life, one of the most frustrating things is that it is the unseen part that everything else is built on. And that, that unseen part or that part of obscurity, that part is where true stability happens in each of our lives. We talked a little bit about the importance of a seed being underground, um, of it having a, a, a moment of obscurity, a season of obscurity. For us as believers, even Jesus had um, many years of obscurity where it doesn't even talk about his growth in a certain part. And for us, we need to understand that it is in those moments of obscurity that our foundation is laid and we have to be diligent to make sure that, that we are doing that. In this church, one of the ways we are laying a foundation of doctrine in this house is through our small groups. And and we, you know, we talk a lot about in this fellowship about the apostles' doctrine, but many of us don't really know what that is. Um, and and I think it's important, you know, as we go through the basic principles in our small groups, we're we are discovering these doctrines, these apostolic doctrines that were laid uh, by the original 12 disciples. And they spoke into our myths and they told us how we should function, how we should form our life, how we should live our life. Um, Anything that happens in our life in the natural happens in the natural because there's already something stirring in the spiritual. And so really, truly, when you begin to look at your life, you, what you see is a manifestation of something that's been stirring for some time in the spiritual and in the unseen place. Um, when we look at the evidence of our life or how our life functions or how we spend time or the attitudes of our hearts, when we look at those things we are seeing a manifestation of a work and ground that has been laid, a foundation that has been laid in private. If you see it in public, something has been stirring in private. And the natural gains our attention so we can gain spiritual truth. Revelation typically comes from seeing something happen in the natural and we are able to backtrack it to see what has been happening spiritually in our life all along to get us here. And I think that's important. It's kind of like fact-checking in math. You, <laughs> you backwork yourself to make sure your answer is correct. And so I think that it is important for us in a, in a, in a generation and a time where all of our evaluation goes outward to begin to reflect inward, to look at our life, to look at our choices, to look at our attitudes, to look at the result of our attitudes in relationship with believers and other people in our life. It does my choices, although I feel like they are pure, cause division in the house. And so we begin to evaluate the natural response in our life and backtrack it and find the spiritual seed that was, we allowed to be sown that has grown into this fruited nature in the natural. And so we need to understand the importance of doctrine. You know, I I have come to find out that foundation doesn't get a lot of glory. Nobody gives the foundation glory. I don't even give the foundation glory. Uh, I want to spend more time, and like I said in my small Devo, picking out furniture Picking out cool paintings for the house, putting uh, paint on the walls, doing all of the extra things that people see. But I am less motivated to do the structural work to make sure that the foundation is good enough to hold up all the lipstick I have put on my house. Because no one sees that. If I were to go down and spend ten thousand dollars reinforcing my 1880 house to make sure that it didn't lean and move anymore, if I spent seven thousand dollars getting to somebody to come retuck my stone since it's on a stone foundation, if I invest my money in that, that's unseen work done on something, and so when people come and they behold that work, doesn't get glory because it happens in obscurity and. It costs you much more to fix foundational issues than it does to put lipstick, like I said on Tuesday, on a pig, and and so we we tend to value the ex- external things uh, instead of putting interest and investing time and energy and finances into the things that matter. The sign that you were a child in the Bible. The sign that you were a child. Is It says that you are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. So basically any wind of doctrine, any belief, any, any thought process, any, anything you hear even in the spiritual realm, even even online with pastors, anything you might hear might blow you off course if you have not done the work of of growing up into the full measure of the headship of Christ. If you haven't done the proper foundation work, then anything you hear might steer you away from the apostles' doctrine. And I believe today we are in the most biblically illiterate generation the world has ever known, ever. I believe we are in the most biblically illiterate generation illiterate, maybe I'm illiterate, illiterate generation that we have seen. And, um, and I, I think that it's important for us to value the foundation work of really truly learning, not learning what other people have to say, not being fed by other people, but getting in his word and discovering the biblical truths of what the apostles laid for the life of the church. You have to do this on your own, and you have an opportunity to do this through our small groups both are required i think one of the one of the best demonstration of what of what a church looks like when they have made the foundation a priority is the book of acts and then i look at the modern day church and i compare the two the modern day church in my opinion is found wanting I believe that we have sacrificed essentials so that we can obtain the masses. We have compromised the basics, the basic standards of truth to gain numbers in our congregation. I think that it is essential that if we want to appropriate apostolic power, it must first we must first approximate the apostolic lifestyle. This will cost you everything. <laughs> Just like normal. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> it will cost you everything. I think that it is essential, I'll say it again, for us to appropriate apostolic power, we must first approximate the apostolic life that was lived in the book of Acts. See, we want the power we see demonstrated in Acts, but we don't want to live the life that they lived. We have a generation that wants miracles, that wants provision, that wants the supernatural, that wants the physical demonstration of God's power released on the earth. But I believe we live in a generation that do not want to do what the church did to get those things. And so we are found wanting. And the Bible says that they continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. They did not... Continue steadfast in the prophet's doctrine, the evangelist's doctrine, the pastor's doctrine, or the teacher's doctrine. They continue steadfast in the apostles' doctrine. And I came here today to tell you it ain't an easy word to live up to. They call you to a life that costs you everything. All are necessary, all are important, but they continued in the apostles' doctrine. The apostles have given us. Well, I, I said I said that the, the gospels are for non-believers and the epistles are for you. And, and it says Paul is speaking to the church and he's saying, You are living epistles. I'm afraid we hadn't even read one, so how can we be a living one? You are living epistles. You are living epistles. This is not, listen, I I, don't, I know I offend people, and my goal is not to offend people, and my goal is not to be polarizing, but I want you to understand if you don't walk out what you have been entrusted with, it doesn't matter what you have. You, you do not become something until you walk it out, and he's calling us to be living epistles, living epistles. And uh, we must go. We must live this thing out It is not something we just incubate in private forever. Something must manifest in our life. They continued fast steadfastly in the apostles doctrine. This is foundational principles. Foundational principles. People, you would not believe how many people in the life of the church, if I were to if I, I think you should guys should have a conversation today in your home. What and ask this question What are the apostles' doctrine? I believe that 95% of our church can't even give you a few. We talk about it. We talk about foundational principles. We talk about these things. But do you know what they are? And if you don't know what they are, how can you live according to them? I believe people in our fellowship that have been in small groups, even at this last few months, will have some foundational principles that they can give. But many of us that are not in a group, don't even know one. And here I get up every week, and I'm trying to preach a gospel that we value the doctrines of the apostles, but we don't know what they are. Now, I preach many of them every week, but can you declare them yourself? Exodus 1, I want to start, and I want to do this three-week series in the middle of a series. It's like a, it's like a spoke in the wheel. It's like a wheel in the wheel right? So we're going to talk about, that was a scripture in case you didn't know, but um, it's like a wheel in the wheel. Um, But anyway, um, now I forgot what I was doing. Okay, yeah, so um, uh, we're doing this three-week series in the middle of a series, and I want to talk about Moses for a second and get to a specific scripture that I believe is relevant for us. When we look at the life of a believer, when we look at the seed that is sown in their life, when we look at how we Mature. We, we read last week that the seed is sown, that the seed is watered, and that God brings the increase. God brings the increase. I want to talk, we, we said that the Holy Spirit doesn't bring division, but the Holy Spirit brings multiplication. And I want to talk a little bit about that in the old, looking, by looking at the Old Testament, looking at Moses, and looking at God's people in the Old Testament. If we turn to Exodus chapter 1, and I have to turn there myself, Exodus chapter 1. Verse 8 through 22. This is a large portion of scripture, but all of it is necessary. So please stick in here with me. Now there arose a new king or Pharaoh over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Look, look the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. Because wherever God is with his people, there is multiplication. There is multiplication. Look, they're more than us. Let us deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply. And it happened in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of the land. They are afraid they would leave them overtake them and leave. Therefore, they set taskmasters masters over them to afflict them. Everybody say affliction. affliction. To afflict them with the burdens, and they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. Ramses, people say that differently. But the more they afflicted them, what does it say? The more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. Why does affliction not affect the children of God? Because affliction sometimes becomes the watering that we need to be able to see the multiplication our heart desires. Now that's not popular preaching, but I'll just continue on so we don't all stroke out. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. <laughs> I think it's funny that rigor uh, is hard work. That's where the word rigor mortis comes from. Okay, I do not have time, but that's interesting. Um, then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives. Now listen to this of whom the name of one was Shipra and the name of the other, (laughs) Pua. I don't even know how to say that, so (laughs) Pua. And he said, when you do the duties of the midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God. And did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. Now I want you to notice as we read this over the next three weeks, the obscure, nameless women that are discovered in the life of Moses. Now we had um, we had uh, some names popped in here, but then some names didn't. You, I want you to watch for the unnamed women. So the, so, and the midwives said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives can even come to them. Therefore, God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew even more mighty. And so it was when the midwives feared God that he provided households for them. So Pharaoh commanded all his people saying, every son who is born, you shall cast him into the river and every daughter you shall save alive. And a man and a house of Levi went and took as his wife... Oh, wait. Oh, that's it. That's it. So, every son who is born you shall cast in the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. If you have ever felt like God was trying to kill you, if you've never felt like God was trying to kill you, just keep living a little longer. If you've never had to deal with conflict or pain or controversy or tribulation or trouble, if you've never had to deal with a conflict of faith, then just keep living a little longer. The conflict of feeling like you are doing everything right that you know to do and everything keeps going wrong. It causes a conflict of faith. If we go back and look at what brought Moses to the place that many of us talk about, where he frees the people of Israel from Pharaoh. If we ever go back and look at that, the Bible says that there arose a Pharaoh in this text who knew not Joseph. And this Pharaoh begins to afflict the people the children of Israel, because he was afraid of their numbers. The Bible says the more he afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. Which lets me know that in the inherent, in an inherent, an inherent quality of a life of a believer is that God's people work their best in the midst of their worst. That the greatest opportunity to be a demonstration of the glory of God Or the light of God is in dark places in life. And God sometimes allows us to endure much tribulation and face much darkness, and He puts us in the most difficult situations that we might be a source of hope and healing in those moments. And it says that in these moments, in these times of tribulation, that's where true growth happened. The Bible says the more he afflicted them, the more that they grew. Now, I know you would like it to be different than that, but that's just the truth. The best qualities in your life, I believe, the best qualities in my life have been revealed when I was going through the worst tribulation. My, the best revelation I've gained in my life has been when I'm going through the most difficult times. I See myself clearly in my trouble. Because what has been stirring in the spirit is brought to light through tribulation. Oh, if I just had a little bit of time. It said that, that hope, what, how does that go? Let me. Uh, somebody help me find that scripture. I want to do this because it just popped in my head and I'm just going to try, try to do this. Hold on, just wait. Romans 5, 4, uh, 5, 3. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. We see our character in the midst of our trouble. It becomes a revelation to our lives. If you won't evaluate your own life, God will allow tribulation and trouble to hit your life, so you'll evaluate it. Because nothing will cause you to stop in your tracks and evaluate your life like a little bit of trouble. Your greatest revelations of destiny and purpose are not in the successes of your life, but rather in the tragedies of your life. And you will realize as you look back over the mistakes and the things that went wrong, you will find that the secondary consequence of who you are today is based on the things that went wrong yesterday. And some of you need to send a gift to that boss that fired you. And some of you need to be thankful for the husband or the wife that left you. And some of you need to be thankful for the, some of you need to be thankful for the parents who didn't keep you. Because if they would have kept you, you would not be who you are today. I was thinking about the life of Joseph who got a coat of many colors. And he was so proud of that coat. He was thankful that his father showed appreciate, appreciation to him. And he would have held on to that coat and be grateful for that coat. And he would have never let that coat go. But God allowed his brothers to rip the coat from him, throw him into a pit, dip the coat into blood, and sell him into slavery. And that's the only way that he would let go of that coat. Sometimes tribulation helps you release yesterday so that you can get and snatch up what he has for you tomorrow and he gets a new coat and that coat he falls in love with and 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 Potiphar gave him a coat and he had that coat and he had authority in the house and he ran the house and then he, and he got so he fell so in love with what God was doing for him with that coat that he wanted to keep that coat but Potiphar's wife stripped it off of him until he was naked and had to run out of the house because sometimes God will allow something to be taken from you because you can't let it go. And because he lost that coat and went to prison and came back out and prophesied about a dream in the midst uh, that a, a famine was coming, he, he, got, he, got, he got another coat that allowed him to be able to feed many people in famine but he would have never been in a position to feed the masses in the midst of famine if he had not lost his father's coat, if he had not lost Potiphar's coat, and he would have never gained the coat that gave him the authority to walk with the headship that allowed him to actually feed the hungry and help the helpless. And many of us have held on to this gift that we've received from a father, and we, we 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 refuse to let it go. But every gift, every seed sown into the life of a believer is not there for your self-edification. That seed is given that you might let it go. And that when we let it go, when we let that seed go into the world, it produces a harvest that will feed the masses. The reason the church isn't meeting the needs of the world is because we are happy eating our seed and keeping our coats. And God has called us. And, and He has entrusted into our care things that we must let go if we want to see it multiply. And so some of you need to be thankful that you were released. Some of you th- need to be thankful that you were fired. Because if not for them you would have forgotten who you were. I'm learning I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm still learning to love my enemies. Because I'm learning that every time an enemy attacks, they push me into a place that I did not even know I was capable of living at. Sometimes your greatest opposition is opportunity to develop in you a character That you did not know you could possess on your own. And so the crisis revealed the strength that people did not know they had. The more he afflicted them, the more they grew. So now he issues, Pharaoh issues an edict for the midwives to kill the firstborn sons. The Bible says the midwives refused to do it. So then Pharaoh issues that Egypt to slay all the children of Israel. So they are killing and stabbing and drowning babies in the river. And the scripture records for us the Holocaust. Not dozens, but millions. Some scholars argue millions. But if not millions, for sure, hundreds upon hundreds of thousands. The scripture records that they were slaughtered and thrown into the Nile River. Now this is important, you should probably put this on your notes. Babies were stabbed, strangled, drowned, and thrown, their carcasses thrown into the Nile River. The Bible says the Hebrew children are being killed, they're being slaughtered, and one woman in the midst of all of this discerns that her child is different from the others because in every person's life there are battles that will be lost and there are battles that will be won and at the same time your neighbor is winning a battle you're losing one and at the same time you're winning a battle your neighbor is losing one and this is the way life works We try to use faith to get us out of what faith is trying to get us into. And Contrary to what is preached, you will lose some fights. And all fights are not worthy of fighting in the first place. Even David didn't fight Goliath until he asked, what do I get for fighting him? Some of us need to begin to weigh the cost of the fight. Some of us need to understand that there is value to be had in fight. And if we are not reaping a, multiplic- a multiplicatory harvest for what we're doing, we need to change what we're doing. Because God is shrewd in His dealings with people on the earth, and He expects a return on His investment. And for you as a believer, when he sowed the seed of the Holy Spirit into your life, he expects a return on his investment. He did, not invest, he did not waste money when he put the Spirit in you. He did not waste the Spirit when he put it in you. He invested and he expects a return. And sometimes, this is not popular, the only way he can get a return is by allowing a little bit of pressure to hit your life to push out what you won't allow to come out. On your own. He will allow you to be pressed. But not. Crushed. Persecuted but not. Abandoned. And I think it's important that he allows the pressing. He allows. The press. Matter of fact. He promises it. He promises you will be pressed. Even David wasn't putting everything on the line for nothing. And a lot of of us spend a lifetime fighting battles that produce nothing in our lives. That's That's good stuff right there. Other women had lost their children. So why did... She feels so different. Why did Moses' mother feel so different? There are some battles you're going to win, but there are some times that God drops something in your spirit that says, you can let this die, you can let that die, but this, this thing, this one, don't you dare let this die. And whatever it takes, you must sustain that thing because this is connected to your ultimate destiny. Can I just think... Can I just speak for a second to our global church? Can I just speak to you about what that one thing that cannot die in our midst, in our fellowship, in the life of a believer? It's the apostles' doctrine. And I want you to understand if we look out over the life of the church, we are seeing it die. And we have we have settled to the idea that there's nothing special in it. And we have let it die at the altar of our own convenience. And we've let it die at the altar of our goosebumps. We've let it die at the altar of our self-edification we let it die at the altar of our giftings and we don't care about the apostles doctrine and we have let it die. We have not fought that it would stay alive. We have not done all possible to keep the apostles doctrine above water. And so she knew that this had destiny. This was connected to the ultimate destiny. I want you to understand the apostles doctrine is connected to your ultimate destiny. As a believer. And it is your role to discover which you're dealing with. If it should die in your life or if it should live. The Bible says she discerns that what she has is different. And she makes an ark. This child is Moses. You will notice in the life of Moses a list of nameless obscure women who bring him into his destiny. Who are designed to get him To where God wants him to be. God is moving him. These are foundational people in his life. Because they are unseen. But they are crucial in his life. If you feel unseen in this world, if you feel unseen in your home, if you feel unseen in your workplace, if you feel unseen at the church, God builds the church on people that are in obscurity because they are foundational to what he's trying to do above ground. It is amazing we live in a world that would rather be lipstick on a pig than be somebody who's in obscurity that can hold up all that God is trying to do in and through their lives. I just don't get it. And the mother gives Moses to her daughter, and she places Moses in an ark made with reeds. And the Nile River is where she places him. And takes him down the river into the hands of Pharaoh's daughter. The Nile River current takes him down the river into the hand of Pharaoh's daughter. And now I want you to understand that this is the same Nile River that was used to drown other babies. This is the same Nile River that other children were laying dead in. Their carcasses were floating in, and one was being delivered in the same place that another had found found their end. This is the same Nile River that was used to murder the innocent. And what killed others will deliver you into the hands of your destiny. And the Bible says that Pharaoh's daughter brought him in and adopted him and made him heir to the kingdom. Brought him into the kingdom, called her her own son. And now he is the grandson of Pharaoh. But she doesn't raise him. And we know from psychologists that the first, the most formative years of a young man or a young child is the first two years. And it says in his word that she places him back in the hands of of Moses' sister. And the sister places Moses back in the hands of his mother. Are you hearing me? there's a spiritual truth there. The first truth is this. God will never trust you with what you are incapable of letting go of. This is why giving is taught. This is why Jesus talked more about giving than anything He preached about in the kingdom because he knows that money has our heart above all other things and he calls us to sacrificial giving he calls us to let it go the truth is God will never trust you if you're not capable of letting go of what he's given you some of us hold so tightly to what we have that God can never use it for his glory. Even when God deals with Moses later in his life, he begins to teach him the same principle that his mom had discovered many years before, that he had something in his hand that was his source of hope, that it was his source of, uh, of, of livelihood, that was his source of occupation. It was his staff. And God said, I want you to let it go. And it was in letting go that it came to life. Some of you have been holding on to some dead things your whole life. And the reason your life is dead, the reason your marriage is dead, the reason your relationships are dead, the reason your parenting is dead, the reason your gifts are dead, the reason all that is dead because you have a tight hold on it and you want to be in control of everything and you use it as a crowbar to try to pry into the things of the kingdom and God said it's time to let it go. It's time to enter into a life that's alive and whole and rich and beautiful and what I always imagined for you. (laughs) God is not placing anything in our hand that we have not first released from our hand. Some of you want more finances in your life but you can't let it go, and the seed for finances is finances because you reap what you sow. Let me me break this down for you, okay? Because this isn't a tithing message, but I just feel in the flow of the Spirit, right? Some of you want to come donate your time, and you want to reap finances. Some of you want to serve at the front door, and you want to reap finances, but God says you don't reap finances by sowing time because you can't sow an apple seed and get an orange tree. So God has given us a principle that in all um, my wife, uh, I, I, she's, I'm going to get her to preach a sermon. I'm, I'm going to drop a little tidbit here. But in Ephesians, in our uh, learning the, the the doctrines, the foundational doctrines of the apostle doctrine, uh, one of the things we, we, we evaluated in one of the epistles in Ephesians is that that um, it says that God desires for us to redeem our time. So we had this question and discussion of how do you redeem time? Some of us would rather give something else and get time in return, but the way you redeem time is by giving time. You give God your time, he redeems it and gives you the time that you need for your day. Some of us treasure what we have so much that we forsake what God desires to deliver to our lives. Moses' mother, listen to me, loved him enough to let him go. There's some parents in here today that could hear from this. I know you have all the parenting skills in the world. I know you know how to do everything. I know you've read all the parenting books, but you could benefit from loving your kid enough to letting them go in the hands of your father. You could benefit from that. I could benefit from that. If you can sow, I want to talk about this. We talk... A lot about church, and since we're believers, and since we're laying apostolic doctrine, one of the things that all through the Book of Acts is you have you have people, nameless people, sowing into the ministry, sowing into the church. They are sowing financially in the Book of Acts. They are sowing uh, with giftings into the Book of Acts. They're sowing with their time. They're giving. Everything, they're sowing into a ministry. They're not starting ministries. They're sowing into a ministry that has been started. Now, listen to me. I'm not against people starting ministries. I'm not against that. But I think it starts with sowing into another ministry. They gave everything. If you can sow into another ministry, if you can release it, God will sow it back to you a thousandfold. Some of us want to reap a harvest before we've sold into anyone else. If you have a grain of wheat, it says in the Bible, if if you have a grain of wheat, it says in the Bible, it abides alone. Everybody say, it's alone. But if it dies and is planted, it produces much fruit. So you may have a vision and a destiny of preaching to thousands, but if it abides alone... But it, it, but, it, but it bides by itself. But if you take your destiny and you die to what you want and you die to what you dreamed, and you kill it, you kill it, you kill your vision, you kill that thing and you plant that into someone else, some other man's life, then God will produce so much fruit that even what you dream will not begin to touch what he will multiply back to you. That's the way he designed it. That's the way he designed life. He will, God will produce much fruit that he can prostrate you, the person you sowed into, the ministry you sowed into, everybody, a part of that ministry, and thousands of lives and cities connected. The problem is we won't kill our dreams and sow it into a place. Because we are so busy fighting and jockeying to find our position. And then the last thing, and I'm closing, and this may be an abrupt closing, but I'm just gonna leave you hanging this week and next week, and we'll eventually close on the third week. He restored, he is restored to his mother. Why? Now, immediately when Pharaoh's daughter gets presented to Pharaoh. They take it back to Moses' sister. Moses' sister takes it back because everything in life is a cycle. What starts as a seed cycles up, manifests into a fruit, and becomes a seed again, that it may cycle back around. And we don't understand the cycles that God has formed, the methods of how he has structured life, so we don't do ministry properly. We don't understand these doctrines. We don't understand the principles of how God functions, so we are hold tightly to that which we have, we have obtained, and we are alone we are a seed of no use. We do not give it that we may get it back in return. My oh gosh, I want to freak out. We know from child psychologists that the most formative years are the first two years. And Moses' first two years, it says in the Bible, he is given back to his mother that he might be raised in these formative years. I'm going to close with this. Most dysfunctions in people's lives come from not gaining the necessary skills to function properly in the early years, in the formative years. Notice that God didn't allow Pharaoh's daughter to spend the first two years raising Moses because the first two years are the most important people listen to me why am i talking about the foundation is because if we have people come to life in christ in our fellowship spend two years being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and in those first two years we do not lay a foundation they every every uh dysfunction that manifests in their life will become because we mishandled them in their formative years and have not laid the proper groundwork and they've built something quicker than they needed to. And I want you to understand the reason you need to value the apostles doctrine, the foundational work of the church as a new believer. If you're a new believer in here today, these first two years are formative and your dysfunctions, if they rise, will be because we did not do it right and you did not value the important work in these first two years as a new believer, a babe in Christ, an infant in your walk with him. And if you don't get it now, you'll, you might possibly be jacked up for life. Why small groups? Why we hammered down? Why read the Bible? Why do that when you're a new believer? Because I know a lot of believers who've been a believer for 60 years that have so much dysfunction in their life because the first two, they didn't, the, the church didn't value the apostles' doctrine and pour that into their heart. So then everything else in their life was built off that. It's important. It's important. God help us. To value. God, help us to let go of what we want and help us to chase what you want.